Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. What would you do with nine acceptances? What about a full ride to one of those acceptances, knowing that you want to go to another school? Unfortunately, we don't talk about those details, but I'll share those in one second. The pre-mid year, session number 532. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Mid Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Mid Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, we have a great guest, Nico, who shares his extraordinary application cycle and what he thinks led him to be so successful. Since our interview, Nico has been uh, communicating with me, letting me know more updates on his amazing application cycle, including a full ride to one school, going back to another school where he had received some financial aid and said, hey, you're my dream school. I want to come to you. This other school gave me a full ride. And they upped the ante, gave him some more money, and he is now going to go to his dream school at less of a financial burden, thanks to just asking. We get that question a lot, so why not ask? Before we jump into Nico's amazing story, though, I wanna talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know, as we're recording this, as this episode comes out, it's the end of May, beginning of June, a lot of you received MCAT scores back recently, and you're wondering, hey, can I retake my MCAT super fast? and get the score that I want to apply this cycle. And the first question I want to ask you is, are you ready to retake it? A lot of you reflexively retake the MCAT without actually understanding if you're ready. Don't make that mistake. Make sure you're prepped and planned. Use Blueprint MCAT's free study planner tool to make sure that you have the plan in place to be successful for your MCAT. Don't rush through an application cycle and an MCAT retake just because you're set on applying this cycle. It's a huge mistake. I see it all the time. Go to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for a free account and get access to that amazing study planner tool today. Let's go ahead and jump in. Say hello to Nico. Nico, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Nine acceptances and counting let's let's rewind back to the very beginning little nico when when did you like go i think i want to be a doctor one day <laughs> little chico nico i like <laughs> to go by um you know for me it wasn't something i knew i wanted to do when i was actually younger um i know for a lot of people that have 
moments or like that epiphany where like God reached down and like blessed them with the calling to become a doctor. And then from there, they just went moving forward, trying to, you know, complete that goal. But for me, I, I didn't have much contact with physicians. Um, I didn't really see a primary care doc. Like that wasn't something that was in my mind until I was actually in college. And I think that it was more of a reflection of my moments uh, or, or my childhood that led me to, to this path. And it all started, um, you know, because I didn't see primary care physicians. I was like a regular at urgent care centers, fast care centers. We relied heavily on those. Um, I was a rambunctious kid. I uh, like to get in trouble, you know, lots of quick injuries, climbing trees, holding on to my brother's car while I'm riding longboard, like dumb things like that, you know. With a helmet and, on, of course, right? With a helmet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, from yeah. holding on to a, a car, <laughs> I definitely made sure to have a helmet on. <laughs> and so I'd land myself in there frequently and I'd get to know like uh, the nurses, the docs there. And I got really comfortable with them because they they were they allowed me to get back on my bike or mm-hmm. get back outside and enjoy the things that I did. You know, granted, maybe it's not the best the best mentality for a six year old to think that, like, hey, if anything goes wrong, it's fine. I'll just go to the ER. But um, and I didn't think at that moment this is what I wanted to do. But it was just something that subconsciously I think continued to build with me as I grew up. And then, you know, going through high school, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Still, I just loved to learn. Um, my parents, neither of them went to college. Mom's from Columbia, and my dad is from from Illinois. But he, you know had a rough childhood. So he's, he's a, he's blue collar, hard worker, mm-hmm. and they set me up for whatever they could. But, um, you know, college was like very intimidating to me. Yeah. Um, and expensive and so many options. You have a paradox of choice there. Uh, so, so I went into was, it very open-minded. Yeah. What was that thought process for you? you yeah. College was the next step. So it sounds like you, you knew you were going to college, but yeah. did, did you go in with any idea of what you were doing or are you just like, I'm going to well, go and see I'm where I'm a little it takes brother. Me. So I grew up looking at my older brother okay. and he didn't know what he wanted to do. So he ended up going to the Air Force Smart and it man. turned out to work great for him. <laughs> yep. Um, so I think earlier in line, I said, you know what? I should probably try to figure out what I want to do more. So I played with like law. I played around with like um, software engineering, mm-hmm. very different things. I didn't have any exposure to sciences though, hard sciences. Um, in high school. Mm. So I went to community college and thought, you know what, this is a good way for me to get my feet wet, explore things without that insanely high um, sticker price. And in one of my first years in college, I met this professor of chem- chemistry uh, who opened my eyes to the world of, of, you know, through the lens of a chemist. And I fell in love with science. Yep. Naturally, you know, very stereotypical. And from there, I kind of started to key in on ways that I could do science in different occupations. And I started to learn more about myself. I started to contemplate my own experiences. And I thought, well, uh, I think I think I have ADHD. It's not something that's like very like well-spoken in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of tend to push those things to the side as a, as, a, as a typical Latin family does. And we didn't have much exposure to what to do uh, for kids experiencing mental health issues. And I thought I need to see a professional. And that was the first time I like, as an adult, spoke with a doctor one-on-one sat down and and received treatment Mm. and i thought you know this person's taking the chemistry that i love the psychology that i love you know interacting with someone evaluating like their circumstances and providing a treatment that directly impacts them or or improves their quality of life for me it was like you know turning on a light switch yeah and i thought you know what yeah 
that's, that's something I could do. Yeah. So from there, I just kind of what year was that validation? That was uh, my end of my freshman year of co- uh, college. Okay, so still pretty early. Year. Yeah. Okay. First second year, I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor, or probably sophomore year. Yeah, mid sophomore year. Okay. Interesting. So coming from, as you mentioned, right, your uh, mom from another country, dad, blue collar worker, your your brother's in the Air Force, you're navigating this kind of fresh, right? Without much mentorship guidance. How did you go and seek that guidance as a sophomore now in college? Did did you know that there was this thing out there called a pre-health office at at a lot of schools? No, no. (laughs) And even when I found out, honestly, I still didn't take full advantage of him um man thankfully we have this thing called the internet (laughs) where (laughs) you know i i constantly sought out because i didn't even you know pre-med can be very clicky and i didn't even have many friends that were doing pre-med maybe two or three um and and even they didn't know what they were doing and they might have had mentorship so i think the first thing i did was establish uh relationships with professors that could Maybe maybe they didn't know, but they could point me to someone who did. And I saw a lot of information online, and that's how, that's how I stumbled upon you actually, and and you know watching YouTube videos and kind of just machine learning my way through the process because there's so many nooks and crannies and nuances and little things that that you don't even think about yeah. until someone brings it up and you're like, what's that? I've never <laughs> heard of that. Yeah. So you kind of just develop this, and and it can be really overwhelming. I'll admit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to kind of go to this draw board of things and writing, okay, well, all right, let's, let's just take a big paintbrush roller and, you know, focus on the big picture things and kind of go back and, you know, paint in a little more finer detail what I need, yeah. so, you know, um, because none of the finer detail matters if you didn't complete like major, uh, yeah. you know, major coursework prerequisites or, 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 uh, you know, spend time figuring out this is what you wanted to do. Yeah. What was the hardest thing for you being a pre-med student? Yeah, it turns out a lot of this stuff is pretty hard. Who thought? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the hardest part, oh, it goes hand in hand with what I just said because my family, um, it can be frustrating because they don't know, they, they, I don't have a GoPro on me all day, right? They don't see what I see, how busy I can be or the different things that I have to, to do to get where I'm at. And sometimes it's hard for them for that reason to understand um, why I'm so focused or or why, you know, I, I I can't make an event, right? It's not that I don't want to, but it's that I have to delegate my time otherwise or elsewhere. And I think that sometimes that can cause some turbulence, you know, um, when dad needs an extra hand around the house, like uh, on a day that I have to study, right? Like, yeah, I would love to help clean up the garage with you or or, or spend time doing these things that we enjoy, but it, it's it's hard to prioritize. So I think that navigating those conversations and setting like really clear boundaries on mm-hmm. on what it is that I want to do and what I need to do to get there was really important, not only for my family, but for my friends. And I think that that was really helpful providing a, a sense of accountability because no one's going to motivate you more than friends who want you to go out with them. So they're going to say, yeah. hey, make sure you got this done because Saturday you're mine. Or, yeah. And I think that really helps um, keep you in check. I, I've talked to other students, uh, especially students who come from immigrant families and oftentimes there 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 can be a lack of communication which leads to resentment from the parents like oh like 
this this hardworking lifestyle that that allowed you to go to college were not good enough, and now you you're going off and studying, and you're not helping around the house or whatever anymore. Yeah. Did you have to navigate that kind of stuff with with parents and family? Yeah, yeah. I think that no. I, I think sometimes my dad he understood, but you could tell maybe that there was that you know that that sentiment. With my mom was actually <laughs> more the opposite. It's a typical she parent. Felt bad. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It, it felt like I, I think he, that sometimes they, that we can like pawn off being busy as an excuse, mm-hmm. and maybe in the eyes of my parents, sometimes it was like, okay, we're all busy. Like that. That's how life works. Like yep. figure out time to get this other stuff done. And, uh, which was difficult. Um, but from my mom's perspective, I think she just felt bad really like often, like I want my son to enjoy like normal kid things. And I feel like I'm looking at him and he can't enjoy these things. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and it was kind of like, uh, like she felt guilty and, and that actually made it worse for me because I knew what I wanted to do. And I want, I didn't want her to like worry about me and, you know, I, and, uh, so I don't know, it, it's a strange dynamic, but yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely like some uh, disconnect that goes on pretty yeah. frequently. Yeah. yeah. My so, mom just asked me, actually, I graduated two years ago and I remember she was working and someone asked her how I was doing and she called me. She's like, what was your degree in again? Nicole? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, biochemistry. Yeah. Psychology. Yeah. It's, so, it's amazing. If uh, that doesn't tell you. you know, yeah. So we, we talked about the hardest thing being a pre-med. What was the, the best thing? What was the, the most enjoyable part or, or the thing that you look kind of fondest on about being a pre-med student? Oh, I think that this, this could probably be applicable to other uh, groups, but I think that because I found very few things bring people together um, as well as shared experiences and and uh, pre-meds as a group or people in medicine or students that are, you know, within healthcare and so on and so forth, really share a unique experience in that, you know, the, the amount of hoops they have to jump through and, and the amount of things they have to learn, the amount of uh, people they get to meet throughout their day-to-day, whether that's through clinicals, whether that's through um, like tutoring, mentoring, like all these different um, activities that we get to partake in, we're usually doing it alongside one another. So through the ups and downs, you're always with someone right there that that can that can that you can lean on. I hope I hope you're able to to nurture those relationships where you can lean on someone because if you can't, you're going to have a lot of difficulties. And I think I really enjoyed those relationships that I created with with my friends, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and I'll cherish that wherever I go. Yeah. Uh, did you ever second guess your decision about going to med school? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take a gap year just to make sure. Okay. What what yeah. was the gap year for? Yeah. yeah. So I, because I worked a lot, man, I worked like 50 hours, probably a week um, throughout my whole undergrad. Mm. I didn't have much time to do like the volunteering, especially um, with the pandemic. I didn't have much time to spend uh, in a clinical environment that wasn't paid. I should put it that way. Mm. Um, it was hard for me to justify the opportunity cost um, when I needed to eat, when I needed to pay bills. Um, yeah. And and uh, while that was frustrating, I figured I could always do it retrospectively rather than trying to split it up and 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 not be able to to you know I'd be spread too thin essentially. Um, so I wanted to prioritize and that led to a lot of doubt though, especially like I said with the pandemic, where I was spending a lot of time at home. And I was thinking about 
how much debt I was about to be going into without a surefire reason for or, or surefire evidence that I wanted to do this. And I was ready to without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's natural for anyone that's going into medicine. Um, I think that um, there will always be some sense of doubt. But if you're willing to go into it and without a regret and check and, and, and uh, you know, double down and feel comfortable doing that, even if there's still doubt and if you still feel that passionate, then I would encourage you to go into it, but not pursue a career in medicine if that doubt is enough to like render you like unfunctional. Yeah. Um, dysfunctional, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> so you have nine acceptances, which is phenomenal. First application cycle? Yeah. What led you do you think to so much success in your cycle? Oh man, there's I think this is something difficult as a pre-med that we don't do often where we don't really like reflect on our successes. We tend to just like keep moving forward. Yep. Like, oh, got an A in a test, keep going. Oh, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And so this question is difficult for me to answer because I, I am very, I try to be humble. I try like, I mean, this is a very humbling process from being honest. It's not difficult to be humble, but I think that some things that I managed to do very well were um, planning. Um, there's so many different things that you have to consider and it becomes exponentially more difficult when you have less time. Um, so I think that I was able to, as soon as I realized, okay, this is kind of what I want to do. I was able to be very effective with the way I managed my time so that I was able to fit a lot of different things into my daily life without compromising as much as maybe, you know, other people do. I think that integrating, uh, especially when it came to my application, regular um, like checkpoints was very helpful. So during my gap year, um, I think during a lot of people's gap year, it's really easy to fall victim to, oh, I have time, right? I've got time. I got a year off. I got two years off. But I wanted to really make sure that I was able to speak about my time off in the application. Mm-hmm. And because it's that weird, like extra year that you get, mm-hmm. I uh, I had to set hard deadlines, especially because my MCAT was, gonna, was going to uh, expire. Mm-hmm. So setting those hard deadlines and holding myself accountable was really important. I think that's just general advice to be successful in the application and as a pre-med. And then, you know, even if you do those things, though, obviously... Uh, there's going to be other variables that you need to be able to provide. And I think for me, um, I don't know, I was just myself. It's pretty cliche, but I'm just, I try to be as genuine as possible. Um, And I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I tend to do this thing where I ramble, case in point. (laughs) Um, But I think that we all have those little idiosyncrasies that where people become, you know, uh, have that connection or they become, you know, very, uh, uh, you have those positive experiences with people that help you develop relationships and those tend to create your own luck or you kind of have that your own serendipity from that. And, and you know, you never know when that'll pay off. And I think I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of those little moments um, that paid off later down the line. Um, yeah. And, and I, I don't think I could have done it without those. So there's definitely a, an element of luck. Yeah. Did you find any mentorship along the way? Yeah, I did. I did find mentorship. Um, I think people try to seek, that's the other thing I noticed. People try to seek like one sole mentor and and expect that they have all the answers. 
which is like an un- incredibly unrealistic expectation to put on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, my dad is a mentor to me, right? But he just doesn't know how medical school applications work. So I would never seek that advice from him unless it was like a general thing that anyone could listen to, right? Um, professors were incredibly great mentors for me in terms of academics because, again, I'm navigating this field where, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult and there's a lot of moments where um, you're going to struggle. And I think there's a lot of moments where you're going to doubt yourself and and you're not going to know how to learn, you know, a cycle or, you know, and, and you're going to compare yourself to your peers who are doing way better than you. So in the sense, I think peers can be mentors as well that I've gained throughout the years. And then also people that have been, um, you know, one step ahead of me throughout the throughout the way, meaning they were a third year when I was a second year or they're in medical school while I'm an undergrad, um, especially with the application itself, having people that were, you know, um, have been through this process and they're going to just look at everything through a different lens than the person next to you might or so I think having really specific mentors that can that can be very helpful in their field is way better than having multiple people try to do it all. Yeah. Um, uh, if that uh, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people go through this process hoping of at least one interview invite, one acceptance. What was it like for you to get that first interview invite and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one and the next one? So at, at some point the- were you like, what's going on? Like, is this, did I get stuck in some sort of loop and I'm getting all these by mistake? 17 or 18 interview invites. And my first one was from one of my dream schools right here at Northwestern. Um, I grew up really wanting to go to Northwestern. I I mean, I remember seeing their logo, thinking NM, stealing that as my own, creating like my own mini record label for Nico Martinez with the NM logo and everything. And they were my first one. I think it was like August, like that's third week of August or second week of August, which was really early. And I remember thinking, man, I wish someone else would have interviewed me first so I could have some practice. <laughs> I, was, I was really nervous, but excited at the same time. And I think that um, at one point, it almost became overwhelming, kind of like the secondaries flow in. And it's I realized, and I was very grateful for my past self for creating like different to-do lists and Excel sheets to, to keep things on track because, man, it's a lot for one person to manage, especially if you're working full-time, you know, setting those boundaries with my employer who are thankfully really, really, um, really helpful with that mm-hmm. um, did, did, did wonders for me because that's a lot of PTO. And even if you have the PTO, like uh, my position isn't, isn't interchangeable. So I'm the one that does it even when I'm not there. Yeah. And and uh, it was stressful. And it's a lot of money too. these interviews. Thankfully, I was able to do a lot of them virtually. Yeah. But it's, How- it's bittersweet. It's like, it's so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. How many interviews did you have to go in person? Uh, maybe four, three or four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it was one of the silver linings of the pandemic is medical schools understanding that virtual interviews are almost as good as in-person interviews. Yeah. And and it's sad seeing schools go back to in-person because I just, it, it helps students, so many different students uh, from, from different backgrounds and, and helps kind of democratize the process, uh, make it a little more equitable in terms of 
allowing students not 100%. to have to pay for hotels and travel and and more time off and all of that fun stuff. So, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I wish. And I wish there was a hybrid option, but you know that like people in higher socioeconomic status are always going to go, and like it. I, yeah. I feel like you can't negate that like uh, leverage or that that yeah. advantage that you get from being there. So it's it's tough. It's there's there's no uh, clear way to do it, and I think schools are playing around with different methods and uh, yeah, and and doing what they can. It's it's tough to be on both sides of the of the application, and I think that um, having some empathy for schools isn't isn't a bad thing. Nah. Let's rail against the schools. Um, they could cut the prices. Bit, <laughs> they, could, they could cut the prices. What, uh, what is the thing that kind of caught you off guard the most with the interview process? Oh, I think uh, there were some long days. I think that's what it was. There was I definitely had some fatigue, I think. Um, even, I mean, in person and and online are two very different things. But regardless, both are, can be long days mm-hmm. and always having to be like on on guard, on par or like being able to, uh, you know, especially uh, over the camera, like having that face where you're like always like I'm smiling <laughs> through my teeth right now. Like I have to sneeze, but I'm holding it back. Right? <laughs> that was probably one of the more difficult things for me as someone with ADHD. It's like, you know, I'm not meant to sit in front of a computer and and uh, and, and stay still. I'm very fidgety. I'm very like, I need to be up. I want to be talking. I want to be interacting with people. And uh, I found ways to kind of combat because while I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with that, it can sometimes uh, be interpreted through the other side of the camera a different way than you meant it. And it's not like you have time to explain everything, right? Yeah. So you kind of have to, you know, have manageable or manage those like first impression skills Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, do what you can. Yeah, I think I think it's still worth the decreased cost to put up with you know these other things. Of course, definitely. Yeah, who was the the first person you you called or talked to when you got your first acceptance? Oh, that was that was my mom. Yeah, so I re- I remember because uh, my brother had some really good like really good um, news. Like he had a promotion at work or he got a new job acceptance, and so they called like a family FaceTime that same day. <laughs> and he was giving delivering good news and we're all excited and i remember and i remember I, I got dinner like some mediterranean food to kind of celebrate myself it was like a friday night i sat at the table and we're all talking talking they're like oh well what's up with you nico anything new i'm like ah, oh, yeah you know just eating some food got accepted to medical school i think that i'm gonna probably go watch a movie tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it in there Dropping i it. just threw it in there you know yeah. oh man i actually screen recorded it too that's awesome just for myself later and uh and uh, it took like a good five or like seven minutes to get there. And I was just, uh, I was itching to do it. Um, yeah. And yeah. What and was the that school actually, like? the first acceptance was the school that is the one I want to go to that my gut feeling is telling me to go to. So it felt, I don't, it's a lot of this time throughout the process, like you always feel like you want to be, um, you know, you're trying to prove yourself, like you want to be picked, like it feels almost desperate, right? Yeah. And the moment you get your acceptance, I feel like a lot of that, it goes away. And then if, you, if you're very fortunate like myself to get multiple acceptances, it almost flips. It's almost yeah. like, hey, please pick us. Yeah. Right. They're sending you emails. They're sending you like merchandise. They're sending you like, like uh, visit dates and this and that. And what about the financial like aid packages? Recruited. That's what I want to say. Yeah. That's what I want to know. 
<laughs> right so it's it's like a weird feeling it's I, I i use this comparison a lot but i feel like we do have a lot uh in common with like athletes mm-hmm. and um mentality wise and and selectivity wise come you know the competition is incredible and um and i commend anyone that's even willing to put up with all the hoops that shows their dedication enough but unfortunately it's limited spots so. yeah it, it is an interesting question and and it, let me know if it, it's not appropriate uh, obviously, your your mom's an immigrant, so you have some Latin American culture, ethnicity. How much of that do you think is not obviously all of your success, but the potential increased as as you mentioned, right? The schools are like, "Hey, come to us, yeah, come to yeah. us." How much yeah. do you think of that is authentic? Of like, we want you because we love you, or we want you because you're going to help our numbers. That's such a good question. That's such a good question. And I am very Latin. I'm a coconut, if you ask my family in Colombia, right? <laughs> Which means that I'm very American. But, you know, I have my grandma's painting right here. I got the Colombian flag right here. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Latin. I'm Colombian, Puerto Rican. Um, so, it's a big part of who I am. And, and that can be seen in my application. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time working with people that look like me because that's something that's important to me even before I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um and and that's not something that that uh that that I can fake like that's just that's just who I am yeah and I have struggled with this exact question asking myself that there was a moment of guilt because I have uh you know a friend of mine I'll call her that who is like you know incredibly good stats um kind of did all the right things so to speak right and but she's white and she comes from a very privileged background but she was struggling for a long time um, without getting interviewed, she didn't get any acceptances her first cycle. And I remember kind of getting into a little debate with her, this heated argument, because she pretty much, you know, tossed it up to, well, you're brown. So that's probably why you got in or got more opportunities than I did. And for a moment there, like I had struggled with that guilty, like feeling already like, um, but then I sat down with myself and, and, and it really, I felt really diminished. I felt like, wow. So all this effort, all this work that I put in up to this point in her eyes didn't mean anything. Yeah. Like I, I would have been in the same position if I didn't do any of this. And then it felt like, did I just waste all my time doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did battle that for a while. And then I started to think, well, um, if you look at it uh, like from like the the common analogy of that of that uh race right like we're, we're all running a race and we have the different finish lines or we have the same finish line but we have different starting points and mm-hmm. man she started miles ahead of me and i think that if i was in that if i started that far i sometimes i just imagine how further i would have been yeah uh comparatively but it's it's all just hypotheticals that when we spend a lot of time thinking about instead of just focusing on ourselves and focusing on what we can do and what we can control. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they'll, they can just deter you or just leave you unmotivated. Yeah. Um, so I try to tell people that, uh, just be true to themselves and, you know, you can't control how, how some, who's reading your application. Of course. Um, you can't, and that's the reality. So let me, let me flip the question a little bit because, because yes, Right. And, and to, to her, um, to her account, I, I know plenty of, uh, 
white cis white whatever right as as generic yeah. as possible from a, a race <laughs> ethnic whatever standpoint who are who are super successful like you lots of interviews lots of acceptances so i i don't think that's it right and and the basis of my question wasn't necessarily from that standpoint it was more for you now that you have had all that success how are you trying to figure out what schools are being authentic that really want you for you and not mm. want you for their stats? Good point. Yeah, that's pretty tough too, I think, because it's one thing to like read about a school on a website and like look up their missions. Um, you can look up their their metrics. You can look up their their matriculant data, right? Who's going there, how their average is. And there's so much data, so overwhelmingly, <laughs> too much. You know, overwhelming yeah. amount of data. We're a bunch of nerds, right? <laughs> And it's, it's hard for it's us. It's both to, too much and not enough at the same time. I don't know. Why. It really is. <laughs> it really is. And we we tend to put so much emphasis on certain data points while ignoring others. Yep. Or, and you know we're we're human, so we try to make sense of things. And I think that I'm trying to put myself in that position where I'm actually at the school and not on the website, mm-hmm. right? And there's only a few ways you can do that. And that's by talking to students and that's by talking to people that go there that aren't paid to talk to you, <laughs> Yeah. right? Because there's so much selection bias. And and while the interviewers are great and, and people on, on the committees are great and provide a, a mountain of, of information, they chose to be there. So they're always going to have really good things to say. Yeah. So if you, if, if you're there, which is the great thing about in-person interviews or doing visit days, you can talk you can you can navigate like the the campus and talk to people who are just stand like uh, bystanders yeah and that's been really helpful for me hearing their takes um on how they're treated at the school and why they were recruited or or why they chose to come here and and you know you can kind of use your own little gauge or your own meter on on how you're being treated uh as as a way of deciding whether or not you're comfortable or you want to go there um but if it were easy, yeah, I wouldn't apply to the schools that I thought were like that. Yeah, and some, I've, I mean, I've had some schools say, "Hey, um, diversity is important." We hear that a lot, right? And then they'll second that by saying, "We actually do something about it." Yeah. So I think the moment that we all kind of break character is is a good uh, 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 indication of whether or not someone's being genuine. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you said, "Hey, this might be like a little un- political incorrect or or whatever you mentioned." Um, but I have this question. I love those moments because mm-hmm. those are tr- there's truth within those moments, and and I'm someone that doesn't like to hide behind like a mask or, or or I just want to be myself. And um and while there's uncomfortable situations in those conversations, like me and my friend, we did get into it a little bit. At the end of it, you know, we were closer and we understood each other better. Better, and and uh, and I and I hope that I, I'm end up in a school where I feel comfortable enough to do that and continue doing that. Good. Nine acceptances still on wait lists for other schools. How do you start to figure out where you want to go? Is it, is it a gut feeling? Is it uh, metrics? Like w- what are you looking at? How are you trying to figure this out? So uh, there's a lot of metrics that we can go off of. But I'm starting to realize there's so many uncertainties that I am trying to account for 
and I can't because they just break off into hypothetical. Well, what if this, then this, and if that, then this. Yeah. Um, right. For example, uh, we like briefly discuss this over the like the Instagram live, but you know, if I choose a school that's newer versus one that's more reputable and traditional, is that going to impact my opportunities to get into like uh, more competitive specialties? And if that, then I'm going to make less money. And if that, right. Um, and then there's more uh, obvious things that we consider, like what's important to me and being families, uh, being close to family, something that's really important to myself. So I know for a fact that if I'm at X school, I'm closer to family, but if I'm at Y school, I'm not. Right. And I've sort of ranked my list of priorities um, from being close to family to the cost to, um, you know, uh, to my, I guess, uh, level of comfortability at that school to how well their curriculum aligns with what I want to do. Cause I know how I like to learn a very specific type of learner and something really important to me that I'm not stuck at a computer or in front of a, you know, slideshows presentations all day. That's something that's really important to me. So I think that being able to prioritize what's important to me and then being able to further like subcategorize that and, and into what can I make sure will be checked off versus what might or might not be checked off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I move the things that can be checked off up even further. That way I have the guarantee that if I'm at this place, I'm close. And and, it, and it's sort of like a triangle where you can't have maybe all three points, but if I can get two of my three points, um, I'm more than happy because I'm blessed to have any options at all. Yeah. And so as we get closer and closer and closer, um, I think I've kind of found my favorite triangle and uh, my wait list is kind of the only thing that could throw a wrench in that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's so tough though. It's so difficult because people will pull you and pull you in different directions, whether that's teachers, whether it's professors, whether that's my patients saying, oh, my kid went here. You should really go here. Yep. Like, oh, thanks. But yeah. I don't want to go there. Would so you navigating different opinions is of pretty course. hard too. Yeah. Would you change anything about your journey so far? No, not a shot. If there's one thing I know, it's that I do something and I do it without regret. Because hindsight, 2020, every day, all day. Nice. There's there's no point in like in in like getting lost in the what ifs, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, because it's already done. It's done. Yep. Like you're there. Agree. But next. Um, and yeah, there's some things where it's like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have started researching which schools to go to like earlier so that I could have like, you know, extended my reach and made connections with people that might've helped me later on. Yeah. yeah, maybe. But I also didn't know that existed at that time. Yeah. So how am I going to tell myself this information I know now that I should have done something different? And I think that the best thing that, so the, so the best thing to do is to just keep moving forward, whether that's uh, in the right direction, you might find out later, but it's better than being stagnant. And a lot of people kind of get that like paralysis of too many things to do. I'm doing nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're moving forward, you're taking one step at a time, you're going to end up somewhere. Yeah. And that's better than staying still in my opinion. Love it. So. For the student following in your footsteps, maybe coming from a diverse background or a disadvantaged background, um, what what words of wisdom do you have for them to to keep pushing forward to go find hopefully as much success as you found on your journey? Hmm. I think that 
one of the biggest things that's helped me again be successful is so I've, i i love to read right and i remember reading a book i can't recall the name but it talked about this concept of parkinson's law if you've heard of it i love where it's this idea law. that yeah this idea that work expands to feel like the time that we allow yep. for its completion yep and if we start picking really big goals or really big ideas we typically have more time to complete them, right? Like going to medical school. As a freshman, you're thinking about going to medical school. You have four years. That's a lot of time in the eyes of a 18-year-old or whatever, right? Yeah. And odds are you're probably not going to get done the things you need to do or stay on track. So I would tell myself or tell someone younger than me to enjoy the little victories, right? And take things step by step, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually you'll end up where you need to be and you'll feel a lot less burnt out because you'll have an appreciation for yourself. Um, that's almost instant. Not, I shouldn't say instant, but it's quicker than if you had very long drawn out goals, um, because it's going to take you longer to get there. And I think that having those moments where you can look back and say, Oh, I did this off my list. I did this off my list. I did this on my list," only motivates you to keep moving forward. And I definitely also would recommend journaling. I wish I would have started journaling easier or earlier down the line um, because it, it's something that I think as, as I grow older, realize that just the importance of reflection and being able to read and, you know, not only in the sense track like your own growth or document your own growth, because that's really helpful in that sense, but also helping you understand people, helping you understand yourself. And creating a sense of gratitude, it'll also be very um, inspirational, motivational, however you want to put it. Um, And that goes for anybody, not just pre-med in my opinion, but anybody. And I think that um, if you keep moving forward and you start and you you think about where you're going, you're not just aimlessly wandering, but you're taking, you know, calculated steps forward and and always adjusting and realigning and recalculating from there that you're going to find it. And it's never going to be straight and narrow. But straight and narrow is boring. So who wants that? All right, so there you have it. Nico and his nine acceptances. I hope that was helpful for you to help you understand, right? You can get into medical school. You can get into nine medical schools or more. It is not a, a story of being the best. It is not a story of being unique. It is to, it's it's a story of being authentic and being yourself and yes, being good, right? But you don't have to be great. You don't have to be perfect. And Nico was really amazing and had some great stats and a great story to support his his application. So hopefully you are successful as Nico moving forward. Hope you have a great week. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com and their free amazing study planner tool. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.